So we, we are in a, a series uh, that's called, Who is the Church? Who is the Church? And, and the reason why we were, we're in this series is because it, it's kind of a flow of what's been happening in just our conversation this whole year. Our whole year's conversation is about being rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. We talked about what does it look like to really live by the pillars of the faith, what it looks like to draw near to Jesus, to actually know Him to be in relationship with him, that it's so much more important that we realize being with God is, important, is more important than doing things for God. Sometimes we get that mixed up. We do a lot of things for God, and we think that by doing things for him, we are in relationship with him. But Scripture is very backwards in that. Scripture tells us you actually got to start with the relationship, and then the things get done afterwards. Because... Far be it that one day you will stand before God. And I've said this so many times, that you will stand before the living God. And you get fooled into believing that you, you, you lay down your Christmas list, you lay down your checklist of all the things that you have honored God with. And to get only in return a simple phrase that he says, I do not know you. You have done all these things for my name, but I have never known you because you we're never in relationship with me, right? So in drawing near to God, it's one of the, the pivotal parts of the Christian life. And I, and I pray that you guys continue to do that because the stronger that is, the deeper you will see how God can work into your life. But as we draw near to Christ, the very next thing is we need to draw near to what's close to his heart. To draw near to Christ, to say that I love Jesus, then you must love what's at the center of the heart of Christ. And at the center of Jesus' heart is his church. Not the location, not the building, but his people. The people whom he died for, the people whom he came to earth for, the people whom he sacrificed his only son for. At the heart of God, at the heart of Christ, is his church. And so if we say, I identify with Jesus, then the next question I have to ask you is, do you identify in the exact same way with his church? With the people next to you? The people in the pews? Do you, ha do you have the same intimacy, intensity, and intentionality when it comes to the relationship with the people in this community? Right? Because to say that I love Jesus means I love his so we are in this series called Who is the Church? And I want to explore with you some simple things. Pre pretty much, I want to I explore with you the fundamental identity of the church, the people. Some of the fundamental things that makes the people of God the people of God. And I want to spend a few weeks unpacking what those identities would mean for the world around them. Right? And so far, we've, we've uh, explored a few identities so far. Okay? I started off this thing saying that we are marked by truth. Who is the church? The church is our people marked by truth. You don't do what you do just because it's a religious thing to do and you check it off your checklist. You do what you do based on what has been done. Jesus Christ has died and he has resurrected. That is the good news that happened in history. And because of that, now I live my life this way. I don't live my life this way simply because I have to. I live this way because I am compelled to based on this good news. We are a people marked by truth. The truth drives us. And so to be God's people, you have to have that good news, that gospel center into your life. And if you're not a believer, 
It's okay. All, all I ask is this. Before you begin to question Christianity, before you begin to hate on Christianity, before you begin to question all of the regressive things, archaic things that you think Christianity is about, just start there. Did Jesus Christ die and come back from the dead? Dissect that. Search for that. Work in that. Whatever conclusion, if he didn't, then who cares about this? You don't need to be here. But if he did, then everything else matters, right? Who is the church? Last week we have our brother Kevin Jung share with us in this message. Who is the church? The church was created to display his divinity. One of the identifying markers of the church is that we were made, we were created, we were brought together to display God's divinity. God's aim is to make the church, the body of Christ, a showcase of his glory and his perfection. You want to know my son? You want to know who I am? Look at the church. Look at, look at this body. He will hold up the church one day before heaven and hell, and he says, this is the glory of my son. This is what my son has created. This is what my son has brought forth through his life, his death, and his resurrection. This church, this body, this people, this community, this family. This is the glory of taking dead people, bringing them back to life, and making flourishing out of them. That is the fundamental identity of the church. We were made to display his divinity. And I know a lot of us, you know, sometimes you look at the church and you're like, well, I don't see that. And you're right, it's true. There are a lot of brokenness in the church. There are a lot of things, and, but thank God we have the Bible. Thank God we have the Bible, because you know why it's so, so beautiful? Thank God we have the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the reminder of what the church is. And every time the church goes astray, every time we lose our way, we go back to the Word and we remind it, this is what displayed the glory of God. This is what the people of God did in their life to show the whole world, to flip the world upside down and show them the glory of the living God. Right? My son once asked me, Daddy, why does, did the world begin at zero and then one, two, three? Right? Is that how we mark time? I said, no, son. We started our calendar based on the birth of Christ. That's how significant he is to all of world history. Everything we have was centered on this. This is what the people of old did. They brought everything under this place. And sometimes the church needs to remind, be reminded of that as we live to display his divinity. But today, I want to share with you another fundamental identity of the church. Who is the church? We are made to be intensely, intimately, intentionally united to one another. This is what I'm going to be talking about today. You were made to be united to one another in such an intense, intimate, and intentional way. Being together, coming together as this. This is the identity of, a, uh, of the church. I want, you, I want you guys to see how unbelievably beautiful this is. That we understand this picture of the church. And I pray if you are a believer, if, you're, if, you, if you profess to believe... This message will very clearly show you whether you truly understand what you believe or not. And if you are a believer, this message will give you an insight of whether you are consistently living out that belief. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. I'm going to share with you just two verses, uh, these, two, uh, these verses first. Notice that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, he's going to lay out um, 
three visual images, and each image is more intense than the image before it, okay? I want you guys to see the image of the citizen, of the household, of the temple as it's being displayed. I want you guys to understand that he's doing this on purpose. He's laying these images out for a reason. Okay? So check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What do we see here? You see three visual images. He says, you are fellow citizens. This is God's people. And then he goes on, he says, you are members of his household. This is God's family. And he goes on even more. He goes on uh, to make the image of this is God's dwelling, his temple. This is his place. The images are powerful images, and they are they built on each other, and they are more intense in relationally. So they grow in intensity in their relations to God. Think about this. A king lives in the same what? Nation as his citizens. We are citizens of God. They live in the same nation as his people. A father lives under the same household. Closeness here. You see, you see the closeness? First is king with the nation, then his father with the family, and then God who lives where? In his people, in the temple. The intimus, the intimately connected to the people itself. You're not just near the stones, but you're in the stones. I'm not just near you as a king to a citizen. I'm not just near you as a father to a son and daughter. I'm as close to you as actually being in you, with you. And the images shows also another intense relationship with each other. Citizens are co-citizens with each other, right? Citizens live in the same nation. Same, they're, 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 they're divided by, by miles from one another. And then you get to that picture of household, which are family. When you're in the family, you're close together by what? By feet from one another. There's a closeness there. And then it goes even further. If we're, if we're, the, if we're the stones, stones are what? Cemented to each other, connected to each other, built into each other. And so what is Paul saying with, all the, with these three visual images? What is the main point he is putting out here? Why is he driving this, this, this image further? What he's saying is this. The more powerful the force that shapes you, the more connected, the more brought together, the more fitted you are to everyone else who is shaped by that same force, okay? The more powerful the force that shapes you, the more connected you should be, the more fitted you should be, the more entwined you should be to everyone else who is shaped by that exact same force. You guys follow me, right? So you guys understand this. If you're, if you're, if, um, if you're culture-wise, okay? If you're, if you are... Uh, if you go up in the same country and you meet somebody with that same culture, you, you feel an affinity towards them. You feel a certain closeness towards them. You know, Asians, when we get to our house, what happens? We take off our shoes. It's like this natural thing. We don't have to, we don't have to ask. We don't have to um, think about it. It's just this natural reaction that we just do this. It's a closeness of our culture being brought together because we're shaped by our culture, yes? But then what happens? Family. Think about family. 
the force of family is a much stronger force than the force of culture. And based on your siblings, based on your parents, based on how you grew up, based on how you were treated growing up, it's even more powerful than culture itself. So if you grew up in the same home, you are even more fitted to each other. Brothers and sisters, you guys recognize this, right? Brothers and sisters, you know when your parents get mad, like you, you give each other the look, and you know like, it's like, you don't have to like say anything. Yeah, the eyebrows move and all of a sudden all, all siblings understand, right, what's happening. Like you don't need to like ask any questions. You're well connected that way. Because what? The force that drove you, your family, shapes you. And so you become so fitted to each other that you understand each other. You guys get that? So what Paul is saying here is think about this. If a force is powerful and that force shapes you who you are, then anyone else who is shaped by that same force should bring you closer together. And what is the most powerful force of all? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news, it is more powerful than culture, more powerful than family, thicker than blood. This is the force that, and if this force is true, then it should be doing what with its people? Fitting them together, connected them together, overseas, over times, over energy, over continents. Somehow, when you are meeting another Christian, there should be a connection and a, and a, and a, and a uh, understanding that happens without you having to say a single word. That's what the gospel does. There is no more powerful shaping force than the gospel itself. It changes the way you think. It has a worldview that changes the way you look at everything. So as a result, all human beings shaped by the gospel are now bonded more tightly to one another by any, uh, than any other force in their life. We are one, united to one another because of the gospel. Do you see that? Do you see that in our church? Do you see that in your life? I remember, this is one of my only illustrations I have about this because this is one of the, uh, the, uh, the good ones, right? When I went to missions uh, back in college, I went to Macau. Right? Macau is kind of like the, the Vegas of Asia, right? Macau is like this island. It used to be, it was founded by Jesuit priests, by the way. But then some, somewhere along the way, the triads, whoever took care of it, took over it, and it just became this kind of just den of just evil, right? The casinos came in, you know, for economy's sake, but it became this place, drugs was trafficked through there. Sex trafficking happens as a major part of Macau, right? There was sex, there were traffic girls into that island. I remember when I got off, the, I was in Hong Kong at that time, I was doing mission there, and we got on a boat because uh, our staff wanted us to go to Macau to see the ministry that's being done there. So we got on a boat and we, and we, and we went to Macau. It's about a 40 minute uh, boat ride from Hong Kong to uh, Macau. And I remember getting off the boat and, and just standing in Macau, and you see this huge casino there, and then you're walking in, and everyone looks happy, everyone looks kind of, but there's this, this heaviness, there's this darkness that was just, just shrouded in that place. You, you just feel the weight of it, right? And I'm just walking around, just trying to like, I'm like, wow, this, this feels odd, this feels heavy, right? There's like girls on the street, there's like special places, there's like specific areas that, that are housed just for these girls that have been sex trafficked. Right? And we were working with the woman who uh, deals with that sex trafficking. I remember I was just walking and walking, and then the moment we walked into the house of this Christian missionary, and I saw her, like all of a sudden, like I just feel alleviated. Because I knew in that moment, she understood that I understand, <laughs> that we understood what's happening. 
I was connected to this woman. Though I've never met her before in my life. I've never seen her. I have no connection to her except for one. We were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ together. And so the moment I saw her in her home, I knew exactly why she was there. I knew exactly why she's giving her life. I knew exactly why her world, her dedication, her force, her desire is to do what she's doing because of what Christ has done. And this is why I was there, to do what Christ has done. And we were bonded together thicker than blood, though we have never known each other, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys understand this? If the force of the thing that binds us together is God himself, is the good news of the gospel, then the relationship that you guys have to each other should be the most close-knitted relationship, closer than family who do not know God, closer than siblings who do not know God. The relationship that you have with the church, with the people, with one another, you should be united in such an intimate, connective way as if you're cemented to each other, built into each other. So let me ask you guys this question. If you are here and you profess to be a Christian and you say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, how do you square the intensity of what Paul is describing here with just showing up to church three or four times a month? How do you square the intensity of the intimacy you should be having with the people in the community of God, the people of God, the family of God, the bride of God, the body of God, with just merely showing to church a couple times and saying, I go to TLC? And the answer is you can't. You cannot do that. Right? Can you square the, inten the, the intensity, the intimacy, the intentionality of these images that Paul is showing us? just to showing up to church every so often? And that your best understanding of the person across the pews from you is what you see on their social media page? Or, or what you hear from other people who talked about them? Is that how we're supposed to be connected and fitted together? The answer is no. It's not supposed to be that way. And so if you're a professing believer and your heart has not grown into this connectiveness, this fittedness, you have to really ask yourself, what are you professing? What are you giving your Lord an attention to? Your Lordship an attention to? How about you guys? How, how, if you are a Christian, you have to ask this question. How consistently am I living to the images that Paul is describing here? The image of not just citizenship, not just family, but a cementing deep relationship. Am I living in deep relationship, deep involvement in the Christian community? That's the question you should be asking. If you say, and I, and I believe a lot of you guys are, as you say that Jesus Christ is my Lord, is my Savior, I know he died for my sins, I know that I was rebellious, I know that I have wronged him, I know that there's no way to save me except at the foot of the cross where he bled and died for me. I know that you guys have the heart. So the question you have to be asking when it comes to being united to one another is that are you living in deep relationship the way Paul is describing? Are you living in deep intensity with the community as Paul is describing? I know some of you guys are asking the question, right? What's the question? How deep? How deep are you talking about, PT? Right? Well, let me tell you because I got plenty of time. Let me tell you, right? How deep is this relationship that you're telling me, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're telling me 
to ask the question that I'm supposed to have this intense, deep, connected, built-in relationship with this Christian community, with this community, with these people. How deep is it supposed to be? Let me share with you. First thing, what the passage pulls out here in terms of the, the pictures of family, the citizenship, and temple is this. Deepen the relationship until you get to the point of personal accountability. How deep? Deep enough to be personally accountable to each other. You can't keep your struggles private. You can't keep your struggles private. That's how deep it is. Transparency. You know them. Facades don't work. When you, when you live in your family, you know facades don't work, right? You know, when, when your family, when, 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 your, when your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister start doing something, you're like, what are you doing? That's not you. Like, why are you acting like that? You mean I'm always like that? No, you're not. Why are you putting on a show for? In the same way in the church, you hold accountability because it's all about transparency here. Is there spiritual transparency when it comes to your relationship? Are you transparent? Are you allowing people to be transparent with you in this place? Have you, uh, are there people who knows your heart and your sin that lurks there so deeply that you've given them a hunting license? That they may be able to call it out and shoot it down every time you start indulging in these things. Have you given someone that permission? Have you deepened your relationship that close to the people, to the community, to the body here that has done that? If you all, if, listen, if you're all about privacy, then either you are not shaped by this gospel or you definitely not live in consistency to it. So I just want to keep things private. And usually when people say, I want to keep things private, is that, one, they don't have a really deep relationship with God, deep enough to have a community relationship, right? But if you say that you have a deep relationship with God, then what should come forth from that is the ability to be transparent with each other, to be able to share with each other, not put up the spiritual facade, to be honest, to be real, how deep, how deep do you need to be to be united to one another? To be as intense as the scripture is saying. If God is the one that's forming all of you, if God is the one that's shaping all of us, that our relationship should be this intense. How deep, how intense? Deep enough until you have your whole life hospitality. You can't keep your things private. So one thing, you can't keep your struggles private. And secondly, you can't keep your things private. Right? Things you have. Hospitality, letting people into your real life, into your homes, sharing your things, not just showing up to events. You know, uh, 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 if you're a student, you show up together for what? To gather, to study. If you are, if you work, or if you work together, your, your colleagues, you gather to work. If you're a hobbyist, you gather to do your hobby thing. Right? But if you're a family, then when you gather, everything is shared. Everything is on the table. You know, uh, our servant team, we have, a, we have a running joke. Usually when we, my door is never locked, right? Oh, I shouldn't tell you that, but my door is never locked, right? And so it's, we always, we always laugh at the person who knocks, right? So, so, so someone always knocks. It's like, who's that? Who's, who's that noob, right, in the church? Don't they know? The door is not locked. Sometimes, well, sometimes it's accidentally locked, but most of the time it's never locked. And you know those who don't, those who understand, you the door is always open. They just walk right in. When you go before your family's house, do you knock? No, it's your house. You walk in. 
right? When, 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 when people come over to our house, you know, like, and it's cute. I, I, I get it. They're trying to be, um, um, they're trying to have etiquette. So they ask, hey, PT, can I have a drink? And I was like, yeah. Why you, why'd you ask? That's weird, right? Uh, it's just, you know, it's, I thought it would be nice to ask. Like, no, we don't ask, right? If it's there, it's yours. It's weird when you ask. If you ask, I'm going to say no, honestly, right? Why? Our things are shared. How deep? Deep enough when your, your whole life, all of you, is part of hospitality. Your car, your house, your home, your rooms, everything is shared among each other, right? Family gathers to live together. How deep? How deep is this intensity of relationship that I should have with each other? How deep is this intensity of closeness that Paul is describing? How deep should I be committed to each other? Deep, deep enough where you have corporate spirituality. Corporate spirituality. You know what that means? Deep enough where you guys are able to share with one another, pray together, experience expound on who God is in your life, what he is doing in your life together. Do you guys understand this? Let me tell you, okay? I have a, I have a ghetto side. Now, not many people can draw the ghetto side out, okay? There's only a few people that can actually draw it out, okay? And I remember the first time my son saw it. He was very confused. My, my, my cousin from the East Coast, she came over. We we're having dinner, and I was just talking with her. I, I didn't even know I was doing it. I just, it just came out naturally, right? And all of a sudden, Seth was like, Daddy, you're talking weird. I said, like, that's how I always talk. He's like, no, you're talking weird, right? And I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I am talking weird. Well, not weird, but I'm talking very specific way with my cousin Jenny, right? And I told him, you know, it's only a few people can draw that out of Daddy, okay? Auntie Jenny is one of the few people who can draw Daddy's ghettoness out, okay? Right? So think about this. If I lose Jenny... You lose that part of me. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm not sure. But if, you, if, you, if, you, but if we lose Jenny, we lose that part of me. Right? You guys get that? In the same way, here is our living God, our infinite God, and he speaks to each of you uniquely, beautifully, wonderfully. He teaches you something specifically for you at that moment. And as you interact with each other, you see more of God, not less of God. So think about this. If you lose that person, you lost what? An image of God that you can't take back. That's how deep it should be with one another. That when they are gone, when they leave, you should feel a missing of their, uh, uh, of, of, of their relationship because you know that by not having them, you're having less of God. I remember growing up in the Christian life, it's like in stages, and it depends on the people I meet. My first mentor, right? You know what I learned about God? I learned about God's uh, preciseness. Like he said, he told me, in spite of everything you know in the future of your Christian life, one thing you must always keep clear is the word of God. You do not move left to right of this word. You meditate on this word day and night. This is the fabric and the strength and the driving force of your Christian life. I was like, oh, so I thought the Christian life was all about this. 
everything was about this, just reading this whole process, right? And as I grew in the church, grew in the community, I met another mentor. You know what she taught me? She taught me the love of brothers and sisters. Being able not just to preach to them and tell them God's word, which is important, but there's a kindness that needs to be reflected. That kindness comes from God. And what I saw in her was the kindness that God was teaching her. Now that I see her, I see God's kindness more. Yeah, see that? And as I grew more in the Christian life, in the Christian church, I began to see what? I came into college, and I recognized God's holiness, his commitment to holiness. So it's, it's not, it's, it is about the preciseness of his word. It is about doctrine and theology and keeping it right and keeping it true and keeping it pure. But this has to be coupled with kindness and love that the people in the world around me should know me for my kindness and my love, not for what I believe, but how I live that belief out. But at the same time, at the same time, I was reminded through this next mentor, this next teacher of the commitment to holiness, that our God is a holy God. He's not that wishy-washy God that you can just go around and do whatever you want. Somehow he'll forgive you at the end and everything will just work itself out. God is a holy God that demands that his people walk in holiness, walking in sanctification. And I saw the picture of my God and I see him more because of that. I'm growing and growing. You know what? Later on as I got to seminary, you know what I saw? More of the, te- uh, as my stages, as I engaged more in the Christian community, I saw God's grace. Like, I was touched by the grace. It wasn't just cognitive knowledge. It wasn't just emotional feelings. It wasn't just like legalistic observance, commitment. It was this beautiful picture of forgiveness. That I am saved not because of what I do, but because of what he has done for me. And I saw it through a teacher. I saw it through a friend. I saw it through the community. And as I engaged, I saw more of God not less of him. So I, I thank the Lord for all the people he has brought into my life because by knowing them, I knew more of God. And so in the same way, in the same way, to deepen your intensity and your relationship with each other, it should be to a point where you have corporate spirituality. That you yourself are growing in the Lord and you're able to share that growth. You're able to share that with another person. You're able to ask for prayer, seek for prayer. If you want to believe that, you know what, PT, all I need is me and God, honestly. I'm pretty happy with that. I don't need the church because it's a mess. I'm the first to confess to you, it is a mess. I don't need a church, PT, because it, it's hurt me. Of course it has. So the broken people. And if you say, I just want to have a relationship with God, I want him to change my life, but I don't want to be involved in community, I'm going to tell you, well, again, you're going to have to go and find or make up your own God. Because the living and true God is not a God that you can just have a one-on-one relationship with. This God is only seen greater through what? Personal accountability, right? Whole life hospitality and corporate spirituality. To see God, it means that you have to deepen this relationship with each other with each other. How is your relationship to each other, church? How close are you to one another here? 
How much are you willing to speak truth into your brother and to your sister? How often have you lived in a way where God has spoke to you in such a deep way that you've actually shared it, prayed for it, and lived out and actually explained it and, 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 and give energy for that? You know why sometimes it's, it's the church is always revitalized when we, when we bring new people into the faith? You know, you know why? Because they come in and they've never seen God before. They've never experienced who He is. And all of a sudden they've been touched by grace. They've been touched by His love. They come in and they're excited because they're seeing God in a new and brand way and we have forgotten that. We need each other. You cannot do this life alone. So let me end with this part right here. I know some of you guys think, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm working on it. I think. I'm trying. But let's be honest, PT. The tighter bonds, if you're telling me the tighter bonds are formed when you engage with Christians from all walks of life, here's the problem. I don't feel this incredible bond you're talking about. And as a matter of fact, I just don't like some of the Christians I meet. Right? That's probably why I, I don't really like them and I don't feel this connectiveness that you're telling me I should be feeling. Why is that? What am I supposed to do about that? Right? What are you, you going to do about that? Right? If that's the case, if some of you guys are there and you're like, that's me, that's me, man. Like, I, I, I get what you're saying. It sounds very beautiful in theory, but like, I honestly, in my real emotions, I don't like the people that were, that were around. I don't know why. Even if you're honest, if you're at least attentive and seeking. You probably say, I want to though. If this is the word of God, if this is what he's called me to, I, I want to. I want to be in the life of somebody that can hold a personally accountable to my life. I want to I engage in a relationship so deeply that everything that's mine becomes theirs and everything that's theirs becomes mine and we can share in each other's household like this. I want to I be so deep in, in relationship that we will see God together. I want that. I don't feel it. What am I going to do about that? Look at verse 22. <laughs> and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Key, key word here is the word being built. In him, you too are being built together. You know what that means? If you're feeling that way, if you, if you have that mindset, if you have that feeling, it's saying this, you got to become who you are. There's something you have to do about it. You can't just sit there and say, I should just have it. It doesn't work that way. You can't just sit here and say, I, I'm going to have personal accountability. It's just going to work. Nope. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to have corporate uh, spirituality. Nope. I'm going to sit here and just, just wholesome hospitality is going to come out. Nope. There's a process. You, you two are being built you're being built into this. There's a process, which means there's something you yourself have to do about it. There's a process that you have to go through. How do I start this process? Where do you go to start this process? What is the beginning? What is the fundamental part that you do to build this process where you are intensely building into each other's lives, being able to do this? And the answer is, the answer is, Jesus. That's where you start. If, if, if you're having an issue, if you're having problems, if you can't find a way, you got to start with what Paul says here. Look at verse 21. In, uh, no, 20, uh, the end of, uh, just kidding, the end of 20, uh, 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles 
and prophets, prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The foundation of the prophets and apostles, you know what that means? The prophets wrote the Old Testament. The apostles wrote the New Testament. So you built on the foundation of God's word, but it's not just a cognitive build. You're not just reading Old Testament, New Testament, you're, okay, build on this. No, you're reading the Old Testament, New Testament with what? With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Christ has to be the thing that holds it all together. It starts with him. You can't build anything without him. You can't even go through the process without him. He's the rock that holds it all together. So if you're sitting here and you're telling me, I love the church, I mean, I love Jesus Christ, I have an issue with the church, I don't really get along with the people in the church, I have problems with the church, and I don't know how to start this thing, I hear the word of God, I know I should be like this, if God is forming me, then I should be in this deep relationship with people, I'm not, I want to get started in this process, where do I go? You start with where you've forgotten to start, Jesus. You start with that, the more profoundly you are shaped by Jesus, the more profoundly you will be fitted together. The more, that's why it begins and ends with him. Don't try to work this out by your own ability, by your own energy, by your own power. It starts and it ends with Jesus. The more you are shaped by him, the more you will be fitted into each other. Your problem is not, is not that you don't have Jesus. Your problem is you don't have enough of Jesus. You guys get that? Your issue is not that you're not a believer. Your issue is that you're not, deep, you're not diving deep enough into your belief. You're not diving deeper into your time with the Lord. It could be that you are not shaped by Him in your daily lives. We had the whole entire eight weeks where I talked to you about drawing near to God. It's when you draw near to God that your heart is drawn near to each other. But if this is far, then this will be far. Or this right here will only be towards those you like and those you can get along with and those that kind of think and feel the same way as you. If this right here is as you draw near to Christ, all of a sudden you can draw near to those that you have less patience with. You can draw near to those in whom you feel like always opposite from you. You can draw near to those who stands in different aisles of, 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 of thinking than you. If Jesus is not the cornerstone, you're not going to build into anything. So here's the last thing. So how do I make him more of my cornerstone? You guys following my argument here? You following what I'm trying to say? If we are a church, the church that Paul describes, the church that Luke wrote about, the church that Jesus Christ died for, if we are this church, one of the fundamental identities of this church is that the people of the church are shaped and fitted so closely together because we are shaped by the same infinite God. Your relationship to each other must be deep. Deep enough where you hold each other personally accountable. Deep enough where you are sharing everything about yourself to them. Deep enough where you're not just sharing your struggles, but you're sharing your things. Deep enough where your spirituality 
is growing, that you are lifting each other up, you're spurring each other towards God more because of how much you've experienced God and how you continue to experience God together. And when if, you're not, if that's not happening, if that's not part of the rhythm of your heart, if that's not even part of the emotional aspect of your heart, then the real issue is, is Christ the cornerstone of your heart? If you've forgotten him, then go back there. If you're a believer and you've forgotten to make him the cornerstone, then go back there. Don't make the events the cornerstones. Don't make the, the people you like the cornerstones. Don't make the people you get along with or how much you can muster up to care for people the cornerstone. You make him the cornerstone. You go back to Jesus. And when you go back to Jesus, this is how you make him more of your cornerstone. Realize this. He has made you a citizen. He has made you a family. You know to adopt a kid? I did the math. I, I looked it up. You know how much it costs? Like 60000 It's a lot of money. And I was like, why does it cost so much? Like, just give me the kid, right? Like, kid has no home. I have a home. Give me the kid, right? It's a good, it costs 60000 to do that. There's a sacrifice that's involved. There's a payment that's involved. There is time. There is energy that's involved. Do you know how you can make Jesus Christ your cornerstone deeply? As you remember the sacrifice it took to adopt you. The sacrifice it took, the blood it took to bring you home. To make you his citizen. You know how much it costs to free a nation? For one nation to come in to free another nation that's being taken over? Wars, fights, battle. It costs so much for the king to do such a thing. But to free a land from its captivity, to free a land from the dictatorship, to free a land from its tyrants, he goes in, he uses all of his war chests, he uses everything to do what? To now adopt you into his citizenship, to his kingdom. It costs everything when you recognize what the cost was to bring you in. When you set him as the cornerstone of your life, then you begin to look at each other a little differently. Then you're not going to cry and complain about why so-and-so is so annoying, the issues of this and that, why this person is so weird, why that person is so weird, why do they talk like that or act like that? You begin to realize what? These are my brothers. These are my sisters. I'm as deeply tied to them as a brick cemented itself, built into itself. That's how intense my relationship is with them. Because why? Because my God, my Father, my King died to make that happen. Be the church that is united to one another, church, guys. Check your tongue as you begin to talk smack on each other. Everyone knows this church is not that big. Rumors spread really fast, okay? Rumors of rumors. Every, everyone knows. So what's the best way to big rumor? Don't start one. What's the best way to not have a bad impression of another person? Stop telling people the bad impression of the other person. Lift them up. Spur on them. Recognize that if their pain is your pain, their issue is your issue. Their weirdness is your weirdness. Their problem is your problem. Their issue is your issue. You have an issue with them, you have an issue with me. 
It should be like that. Not divided, not broken. This is the church. This is the identity of what he died for. So let's be that church. Let's pray.